then as is our way. You want to do the announcement? Uh, yeah, so uh, just uh, while we're thinking about it, um, thanks to those who sent uh, questions and topics for our next few weeks. I think we've only got two weeks after this. So send me uh, any comments or questions you have and we'll try to kind of work that into what we do in the remainder of our time here. So anyway. And as is our custom, we'll open up with a prayer. Um, this prayer is from Dr. David Anderson, who was is the founder, president, and CEO of the Bridge Leader Network. Um, as usual, I will read the bits in white, and you will read the bits in blue. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your infinite wisdom, the unfathomable depths of your knowledge, and your boundless creativity. You created things that had never existed before, your knowledge knows no end. We pray for the men and women of science, who are also men and women of faith. We know that scientists discover, you reveal, and all are blessed. We ask, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, discernment, and a fortified faith that allows them to remain in awe of the things you have created. Lord, we pray that as our days and weeks and months and years unfold before us, that you would provide your people with great minds eager to learn about your creation and share their findings with the watching world. God, we pray that cures for illnesses be discovered in your time, that advances would be made in health that give life to all. We pray that the work of scientists be rooted in an ethic that values life and the betterment of humanity. Lord, let those you gifted with a curious mind, a steady hand, and an unwavering faith be strengthened by you. Let them remember that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, so last week, uh, in our kind of science focus, we talked about the idea that um, we have these cathedrals of science. Um, as Andrew Cote, a fusion engineer, said, there's no better analog to cathedrals in the modern world than our mega-scale physics experiments. Thousands of individual careers dedicated to constructing colossal works of cutting-edge engineering to better know the mind of God. So last week we talked about um, the Large Hadron Collider uh, as one of these um, experiments. And so this is, uh, the collider is this 17 mile around ring, 500 feet down, with different um, detectors uh, arranged around it. And so we looked at some of those detectors and kind of what their work looks like. Today I want to look at a different uh, particle detector that's not part of the Large Hadron Collider. It's called uh, Super Cameo Candy in uh, Japan. And uh, this is an upgrade of the original Cameo Candy and a precursor to the Hyper Cameo Candy that's on its way. And so this is um, a neutrino detector. And what it is, is it's a giant uh, cylinder uh, full of water um, that is uh, 3,000 feet underground under a mountain. It's about 120 feet tall and 111 feet in diameter. And what you can see here surrounding it are 13,000 photosensors. They look like um, light bulbs of a sort, but instead of turning electricity into light, they turn light into electricity. And so these sensors are um, powerful enough that they could pick up a flashlight on the moon. And so the 13,000 of these here are arranged 
in this kind of pattern in a uh, tube that's full of water normally um, and that is located under a mountain to detect neutrinos. So what are neutrinos? Neutrinos are the lightest um, particle, elementary particle we currently know about and they have no electric charge and what this means is that they are almost undetectable. There are hundreds of trillions passing through us at every moment and in fact they come from the sun in the middle of the night they just go through the center of the earth and pass through us and out into space. They just do not interact with anything in the world almost. And so this makes them obviously very hard to detect and so you have to do these incredibly um, uh, crazy uh, efforts to actually pick up any trace. And since they don't interact with regular particles, all they can rely on is every once in a while one will actually hit into another, right? There's so much empty space in the particles that are there. This is so rare. Hundreds of trillions passing through our bodies every second and this um, mega scale device picks up about 30 collisions per day. That's the number, that's the rarity of the kind of thing they're trying to detect. And so they have to have this massive thing in order to pick it up. This is kind of a diagram of, of the, the system. This actually kind of displays a little bit about the technology. So what are they trying to do with this? Well, neutrinos are hold a lot of secrets to our universe and um, this uh, project has started to uncover them. Back in the 90s, um, there was this concern where they saw that um, the sun was putting out, um, I think it was a, about a third of the neutrinos they expected. And so this was a real mystery. And I remember at the time, yeah. Can you define a neutrino? It sounds like pet food. Yeah, <laughs> that's good, yeah. It's the, so there are elementary particles. Uh, so you have atoms, and they're composed of protons and neutrons and electrons. And those protons and neutrons break down into these elementary particles. They each contain three of the most elementary particles we know of. And when you, there's 17 most fundamental elementary particles, and the neutrino is the smallest, lightest, uh, least interactive. It's called the ghost particle. And so this is, um, it, it holds a lot of secrets to our universe. And one of the things about it, since it doesn't interact with normal matter, a photon that's generated in the middle of the sun right now will take about a million years to reach Earth because it has to work its way out of the sun. A neutrino that's generated in the center of the sun will be here in eight minutes. Right? So we have, if we're monitoring neutrinos, we have live updates on what's happening in the center of the sun, in the center of the galaxy, in the center of supernovas that are going off right now. This is our world's like premier first warning system on supernovas. Um, and um, it... Right, so it has to be buried under rock in order to essentially screen out all the noise, right? Because what they're looking for are these like such small blips and the only way to detect it is um, the effect when that collision happens, it generates a little uh, a, a charged particle that can interact with other things and that generates a little bit of a shock wave in the water only because of the way water is constructed. So they can detect this thing that's, you know, like several things down. And so any noise that happens really interferes with that. So it's under 3,000 feet of rock 
it's down here buried in using the purest water that we can create on Earth um, to detect these things. And um, one of the big uh, things that they're trying to understand, we think at the beginning of time there should have been an equal amount of matter and antimatter in the, the universe. And when matter and antimatter collide, they annihilate each other. And so that would lead you to think, well, if the universe is 50% matter and 50% antimatter, we shouldn't really have a universe left. We should have, everything should have been like erased by now. So what happened? Something, something is off. Something allowed the universe that we know to actually emerge. So there has to be some kind of asymmetry somewhere. And what they think is that, what they've actually shown with this detector is that neutrinos, their antimatter uh, counterparts behave in a slightly different way. And that slight difference in how neutrinos behave in these different cases may have been the thing that allowed all of the matter in our universe to actually uh, persist. And so this is the kind of mystery they're unpacking with this, uh, in addition to all their work detecting other things. So there's a lot going on there. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're scaling up. Like I said, they're, they're working on the hyper cameo candy. Um, but yeah, this is one of the most advanced and sensitive things that we have on this planet. Yeah. I don't know if you'll get to this, but the fly and the ointment to all of this is dark matter. Yeah, we don't know what that is. And how, yeah. what it is doing to all this right. other stuff. So, um, one of the things they've discovered is there are these different kinds of neutrinos, um, and, and that's something we've nailed down. They're looking for evidence of what's called proton decay. And if they find this in here, where protons generate these neutrinos, in this particular way, it might suggest that our current understanding of, of the particle physics of the universe needs to be updated. And that's what they're looking for. This may be the, the thing that would help us learn the next step to update that, hopefully to figure out what dark matter is and solve a lot of those mysteries. All right, so we're going to go right now to our scripture reading, and we're going to do this responsive. So Daniel, you want to? The sun is the image of the invisible God firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Amen. Alright, so over the this course we've talked about the three paths uh, that of how science and faith relate to each other. A path of conflict, path of irrelevance, a path of relationship. We've pursued this third one, asking what does it look like if science and faith are deeply related. And so we've pr uh, pursued this idea that science in scripture is a divine calling. Call, calling for humanity to seek out the knowledge that God has placed in creation and use it to bless and uplift life. We've looked at the idea that science was a religious mission. The scientific revolution emerged from this religious um, commitment and devotion and revival. We've looked at the idea that science was shaped by faith. Coming out of that, that science continues to actually um, embody many of the values and principles that it got from that religious um, origin. And we, last week we talked about the idea that uh, the question of whether science removes the need for God. And what I suggested was that um, we only ever got to the point where we thought science could remove the need for God because we first forgot that science 
is an overpouring, an outpouring of God's grace. So today, I want to actually talk about what it would look like a little bit to put those back together. If we do remember that science is from God's grace and is a calling that God issues to us in grace, then um, what does it look like when faith actually um, kind of interacts from that standpoint with science? And so this, uh, what we're talking about today, I wanted to call it How Faith Can Advance Science, Fill Life with Wonder, and Save the World. I don't think I'll get to all those things today, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there where, where I'm kind of going with this. Um, and so I want to start <laughs> with uh, where, where I landed a few weeks ago. I brought up this um, cup of coffee and I, uh, sitting on a table, and I asked the class what was going on here. And the consensus uh, seemed to be that what was going on here is an impending disaster, right? Uh, some, somebody's going to come through, some kids are going to come by and knock this over, and that's going to be... And empirically, I think that has to be ruled correct. That is what's, what's going to happen here. But I, I brought this up to um, unpack a few um, ideas, a few questions about it. And so I want to turn to another common scene, and I want you to tell me if you recognize this. Isaac Newton. Yeah. Okay. Newton. What is he doing here? Smoking. Yeah, smoking. I was like in church. I don't know. What else is he doing? <laughs> okay. Contemplating gravity. Watching an apple fall. What? What else? Enjoying his Spanish play, uh, quarantine. Or whatever <laughs> yeah, there you go. And enjoying his being very productive in the quarantine. Yeah. I don't remember what disease it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, he went home because there was a there was a. Closed uh, uh, university right there. There's a play. Yeah, there's a play going on. He went home, and and this was supposedly the most productive time of his life. Right. This is a miracle year. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Daniel said earlier he's wearing yoga pants, you know, like, so this is, he's like really relaxed here, right? So, um, okay, so what's happening here? So he's, he's sitting under this tree, there's an apple, uh, there's an apple falling, what's, what's happening? Natural things are happening, he's trying to explain to himself how these things are happening. Okay, yeah, he's seeking to understand, right? Um, This is, this is an image uh, I think uh, is interesting because I, um, I, when I put it up, I was like, I'm not sure exactly whether people will recognize this, but I think this has kind of entered into like a mythology in our culture, right? This is kind of a mythical image. Isaac Newton sitting under a tree, the apple, um, you know, it released from the branch, falls to the earth, but in that moment, this illumination, and he realizes the, the uh, course of... Uh, and what is the scientific thing that he uh, picks up here? Yeah, what? You rem- what's that? Force equals mass times acceleration. What? Uh, what? What are you? Uh, attraction. Oh, attraction. Okay. Anything else? Any other? So, um, one of the important things that that is comes out of this is realizing that the force that is dragging the apple to the earth is the same force that is holding the planets in orbit, right? That's a really profound 
um, realization here. And he has the, the inverse square law, which defines what that is. But the, the connection between those two things is really profound. So um, I, I think about in terms of this kind of entering the mythology of our culture, there's a number of different depictions of this. This one's my favorite one. This is um, Apple Computer's first logo. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, had the privilege of seeing this, but this was before they uh, simplified it a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this was the Apple One when it, when it came out. So this is like really became like symbolic uh, for our culture in a lot of ways. Um, Apple Computer is actually drawing from this as a sort of founding mythology for themselves. But what's happening here, um, uh, Bernard Baruch says, millions saw the Apple fall, but Newton was the one who asked why. Now, I think that's probably not quite true. I think lots of people probably ask why. But Newton asked the question in such a way as to get a sort of answer from it, right? He saw something there that other people had not seen and had not um, been aware of, right? So m millions of people sat under an apple tree and watched an apple fall. But for Newton, this became this profound moment in the history of civilization, right? A moment of realization, a moment of, of insight. And so um, I think this is, uh, this is interesting, right? So um, millions of people saw this kind of commonplace everyday scene, but Newton sees with the eyes of science. And he sees this deeper unity and this deeper elegance and this deeper order to creation than other people had seen before. So I want to go back to the coffee cup, right? So the eyes of, of everyday perception, we see a coffee cup here that's you know, probably about to be a disaster. But what's happening with the eyes of science? Like what do we actually see happening here looking at it um, through the lens of science? Okay, yeah. Things they rest, yeah. The idea of equilibrium, right? Okay, there's an equilibrium, yeah. So gravity is at work here, but, uh, but it's not moving because it's resisted by a table. And the, the balance is right. And that table has to be held together by um, the tension between particles and so forth, right? There's a lot that's happening there. What else is, is going on? Coffee's getting cold. Coffee's getting cold, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the coffee getting cold is really um, actually profound because um, what is the law that, that governs the coffee getting cold? Uh, it's the second law of thermodynamics. So the, the laws of thermodynamics were formulated in, um, in the context of steam engines. Um, and so you know, as, as uh, the heat and pressure of steam engines was being worked out um, scientifically, they formulated these, these laws of thermodynamics. Yet, um, that, that, those laws of thermodynamics, which govern the way heat dissipates from a, an object, are perhaps the most fundamental laws of all nature. A lot of scientists think this is what is responsible for the very nature of time. 
Um, so it's not just thermodynamics in a coffee cup or a steam engine. It's actually thermodynamics in the fate of the universe as a whole is driven by this law that somebody could see in something as simple as this. All right, so this is, I think, um, we've looked at a lot of scriptures that say, you know, uh, behold the glory of God in, in creation. And this is something that scientists are doing. When they look at this and they see these laws of thermodynamics, the laws of, um, of gravitation, all these kinds of things that actually are holding these small everyday systems in place, they're also seeing the way that the planets are structured, the way that the universe is structured as a whole, all kinds of things. They're seeing these immense um, structures that God used to build creation. Right? All right, so let me ask a, a different question here. What do we see when we look at something like this with the eyes of faith? So the everyday kind of perception, we see a person under a tree watching an apple. Uh, the, science see, the eyes of science, we see this law of gravitation playing out that binds the, the planets and the orbits and, and the universe together. Um, what do we see with the eye of faith? Okay, yeah, how, how, what is that, uh, how does that play a role here? Confluence of uh, education and experience and, mm. you know, that touch of what God wants done. Yeah, okay, yeah. Curiosity. Yeah, curiosity. Yeah, talked about that before. Yeah. Somebody mentioned that he went home right then because of the play. Yeah. That was a bad thing, but obviously yeah. it was Yeah, yeah. Something good came out of it, yeah. That, that God organized this in a way that was a perfect organization. Hmm. Um, uh, Einstein said God does not play dice. Right. Yeah. Was he a person of faith or not? Who? Isaac Newton? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think of creation. This whole thing started out a little seed. Yeah. And so because of God, God planted yeah. or whatever, it grew, it did this, it did that. And so that whole creation thing, that's, that's still science. We can yeah. look at all that too. But if not for God, yeah. uh, that's why I see Raptor. Yeah. 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 That's right. Uh, there's a faith. <laughs> there's a faith that that's there. The apple's not going to hit him on the head. Also, other th bad things are not going to happen, right? Like, hopefully, the branch is not going to fall on his head at this point in time, right? Yeah. What else? God's people haven't done good with apple trees in the past. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting <laughs> tension there, right? Yeah. So, uh, and going to that, here's something I think we might see uh, looking through the eyes of faith. Um, we see a human being made in God's image perceiving something about how God created the universe. Right? We have this everyday perception, we have the scientific perception, but we zoom out a little bit further and we see like the image of God, the creator God, and the, God's work of creation. And what I want to suggest is that um, this is not 
incidental, right? So it's one thing to say, like, God is a creator, and, and then to say, well, and God created the, the cosmos as a revelation of himself, as Psalm 19 says. God created a being in his image and likeness with the capacity to understand that creation. That is not a given in anybody's system of, of philosophy or anything. Like That is a, a wonder right? that human beings have the capacity to understand something about how the universe as a whole is constructed. And so the ability to do that and then actually does it, right? The, that moment of realization, this process of coming to understand something about how creation works, right? So we have the capacity, and then God grants us that knowledge, and God built the universe with these laws. I suggested a few weeks ago, the only reason to think that God would want to build the universe with laws, as Psalm 19 talks about, is so that people made in his image could come to understand them. Right? So this moment, as somebody said, this is not an accident for God. If we say that God built the universe this way, that God designed this kind of law and structure for the cosmos, that God made a being in his image who could understand that, then this moment was something that God intended from the foundation of the world. Right? God intended some human to, <laughs> to sit under a tree and discover this kind of truth about creation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm struck by the fact that it, it's, it truly is like a revelation or a res receiving of grace. Yeah. Be still and know. I mean, he's not in the lab figuring this yeah, out yeah. with his brain. Yeah. He's there, there's, yeah, there's, there's something mysterious happening there. Yeah. There's the other question that probably I'm not sure there is an answer to, and that is why did yeah. God create the universe? Come back to that. Uh, go there and then there. Yeah. Say that. Yeah. How does how does the fall play into this? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, there's a lot of questions around that. I think I, my, my reading of scripture is God intended for this kind of thing to happen before the fall and intended it to keep happening after the fall. Uh, Francis Bacon, who I've talked about a lot in here, he says, after the fall, um, God says, um, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you will create bread. And so uh, Bacon understands this to be like, well, now it's, a, it's much more effort than it used to be. That's his, his take on it. Yeah. So it makes you, let me ask this question. God created um, man in his image with intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So the universe is huge. Yeah. Did God do this elsewhere? Elsewhere, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. Does, where is it, does it say that in our, in our sacred word? It really doesn't because that was never considered. Yeah, I, I don't know, and I, I wouldn't presume to, to know before we have, we have evidence. Yeah. Um, there are other creatures in heaven, so we know. There you so go, yeah. We know yeah. there are yeah. what we consider aliens. But yeah. we'll sort <laughs> but, but this this is an example of this happening in science but it seems like this dynamic happens in every aspect of life yeah. if I'm trying to decide there's a there's an issue with one of my children and, and I and I 
meditating on it before God, yeah, a, a apple can fall and I can go, oh, well, that's a thought. Right. And so it's not just science, but it's, it's us in our lives doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I want to... <laughs> there, there's really little, very little difference between what he's doing and what those neutrino people are doing. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they're they're looking at something. They just built their own tree. Yeah, that's right. They <laughs> built a much larger, much more expensive tree. That's right. Uh, so this that's a that's something I want to emphasize. It's not an accident if um, from any perspective we can put together here. If God is creator, God chose to create laws. God chose to create laws specifically that were discernible and understandable by human beings. God created human beings in his image. God called those human beings to seek out this kind of knowledge. It's not an accident that this kind of thing happens. right? God intended for humans to uncover those laws at some point if we're speaking from a position of faith. And then we have to ask, well, why? What does God want us to do with that knowledge? And do you not then begin to wonder... How many things that you have seen yeah. that should have generated, yeah. that could have generated, right. but because you were not called to do that, mm, sure. you thought, oh, that's a pretty flower, and just went on your way instead of going into the detail of that. When somebody else looks at it, you right. see that. And that the idea of a like, calling by God to right. do a certain thing is, yep. is becomes, I think, much more mysterious of why he chose to call this one and not this one. I mean, right. And there's, uh, I don't know the, how, how your theology would break up around this, but also I think there's, uh, when we avoid our calling, right, we, we like don't pay attention to what God's trying to do. Back here and then there. Um, as an elementary educator for 23 plus years, this just really brings home how important it is to teach children to ask questions. Yeah. To teach them to have curiosity and to not squelch creativity like it used to happen yeah. regularly. And, and, and right. when our kids start asking why, 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 let them ask right. why. Let's keep letting them ask why. And, um, you know, I was reading to my grandson, what, it was like those books go, it's one of those books, and the books went, where are they going? What are they doing? Like, teach them to ask why. Yeah. And we need in our education system to, to there are some schools that teach just what they ask questions about. <laughs> yeah. Like they guide the learning. Now there's something in between the two, but you know, having just these curricula that, that just tell them what to believe. Right. It's but not help it them. doesn't it doesn't stick because it's not asking a, questions and curiosity. That's not, not really who we are, right? Yeah. yeah. Some of what you're saying, I think what you're getting to is, you know, we should stand in awe of the system that hangs all this together. Like, like the fact that it works at all is what starts to look like a thumbprint from mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And so my background is classical music, and the very beginning of music theory was this thing called Music of the Spheres, which was written off as like alchemy and nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and now we have enough, no, which is the idea that every planet in our system emits a pitch or something, right? Like yeah. Kind of do these Pythagoras, all this stuff. Except for in 2023, they worked out the math, and because of the rotation of all the planets and stuff, yeah. they do actually emanate, they vibrate. Yeah. But the fact that vibrations cause us to feel things 
mm. is the foundation of all music, and you're all Church of Christ people, so all the harmonies <laughs> you've ever sung <laughs> are because air vibrates. It doesn't have to vibrate, and when right. it vibrates, it makes you feel things. In in your in your heartbeats will sink while you sing. None of that has to happen. I mean, it seems sort of random, but without it, yeah. it doesn't. Singing together means nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of good thoughts here. Um, so I want to hone in on this. So this has been said already in this class. Faith asks why. And um, uh, this is a, a quote from John Polkinghorne. He was a, an accomplished um, mathematical physicist. He was part of discovering some of these elementary particles we were talking about. Um, and then he uh, became an Anglican priest. And so um, he has written a lot about this. He says, science asks how things happen. But there are questions of meaning and value and purpose which science does not address. Religion asks why. And it is my belief that we can and should ask both questions about the same event. Right? So he's saying what we've been trying to do here. Right? Here's this event. Here's the everyday perception. Here's the question science comes to this with asking this about why or how, rather, these things work um, and looking for that kind of scientific explanation. And religion asks why. It, it comes to that picture and says what's going on here in this bigger sense. Now sometimes I think, I don't think this is reductive. We, we come to, with a lot of different questions and we've actually been very familiar with many of these in our culture, right? So sometimes faith comes to a scientific discussion and it does ask how. It asks the science question, right? And we've kind of seen where that uh, tends to go, um, that when we come into the same space and we're asking the exact same question and we simply disagree about the answers, um, well, there's not a lot of positive uh, stuff to, to uh, come out of that. Um, and so there's a lot that we could say about this, but um, but I just want to say, like, of over a century of faith asking that how question and arguing about the how question, I just don't think we've seen a lot of positive fruit from that. The other question that we're maybe familiar with that faith can ask is the weather question. And so this is... Um, uh, it, as in the 1990s uh, hit movie Jurassic Park, uh, you're, this is Ian Malcolm. He comes in to this project and he says, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So he comes in and he's offering this kind of ethical um, vision on what the scientists are doing, right? And so sometimes this is um, where people of faith come in and they see themselves as a kind of moral arbiter of scientific projects. And that is sometimes exactly the right thing. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes somebody comes in at the, the last minute and offers um, their own moral take on things that they haven't really been part of or studied and they really just demonstrate they don't really know what they're talking about. And that um, is unfortunate when, when that is how those things play out. Now. Uh, even though there are some really uh, important times when this is the, the role that we need to be playing, the question that we need to be asking, um, it is limited, right? Because either we're going to say yes or no, right? Go ahead with your scientific project to create a dinosaur uh, uh, rampage or whatever you're doing, or no, don't do that, right? And so if that's our relationship with science, 
that's just a, a limiting relationship. We're telling people no, or we're telling them, okay, go ahead. We're not actually doing any real work to advance science in that, in that uh, effort. We're putting ourselves in a kind of conflicted situation with science, yeah. If you go back to the how, uh, it seems like that I have run into two major groups. One is that it's based on natural laws that was created. The other is that God literally moves everything around by hand or whatever God has. Yeah. And, and that that would take out, that would not take out science, but it would make it semi-useless. Well, so we have a lot of things that we can raise when we bring those questions. And I'm not saying we shouldn't raise these questions. I'm saying these are, these are kind of limited questions. And what Polkinghorne was saying about why, I think opens up a whole other uh, category of work uh, and category of possibilities. Right? So Polkinghorne is saying right, that, um, when we, that, that science it does not address the why question at all. Right? So we're not in conflict with science when we ask this question. We're not, and what we're doing here is then um, potentially only contributing because it's opening the door to all kinds of other things. So think about um, when, uh, when Newton is sitting under this tree and he's perceiving this scientific law and the, the, the gravitational movement of this apple. What he, you know, we, we talked about the, the eye of faith which sees the human being made in God's image. There is so much other stuff going on there. This moment is the beginning of a trajectory, a story in human history about um, how we start to uncover not just the laws of gravitation but all kinds of other facts about our universe. Those laws of gravitation will open the door for us to put satellites into orbit, for us to create GPS systems, for us to send probes to other planets, for us to understand how to use gravitational lensing to perceive the depths of space and time, for us to understand how to build neutrino detectors thousands of feet underground. All of that kind of stuff comes out of that moment of realization and insight. Right? And so that question, that why, opens the door to all of those things, all of those possibilities. When we step into a scientific discovery and we say, you know, good for you, this is exactly what you should have been doing. You found something profound about creation. Now we're going to ask the question, why did God build it this way and what does God intend for us to do with it? That's when you can start to look at the future of this, because that is not the end, right? That is not the end of this technology. It's the beginning of this science and this technology and what's going to come from it. And we sort of know that big picture story of where we're going as people of faith. But this is an opportunity for us to enter into the scientific project and say, what does God specifically want humanity to do with this law that he built into the system of the universe? What does he want us to do with this? What role does this discovery play in the story of God? I think that's how we actually um, bring uh, science uh, back to faith. And I think this is how we actually open up the world 
in a new way and move us beyond some of the, the divi division that we've seen uh, between faith and science. Yeah. Do you have an example where that happened? Where people... Where, where the why question intercepted the, the scientific endeavor and changed it? I mean, I'm, there must be. I just can't think of one. So there are... This is what I think is that we have dropped the ball on this. That we have not been asking why sufficiently. So that when uh, we think the question why is just like, well, you know, why did God put us here? We don't think the question why of like, why did God give us this knowledge? The people who do ask that question, um, sometimes from a secular perspective, they leave God out of it. They ask the why question. Why do we have this? What are we going to do with it? That opens up, that's another thing, that opens up a whole other, uh, whole other realm of discussion. Yeah? I think a good example of what you just said, Mike, Yeah, that's right. You know, if you think about Apple, two names come to mind. Isaac Newton and Steve Jobs. Yeah. Steve Jobs was not a person of faith at all. Right. A remarkable life. Yeah. Uh, faith was not at his core. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, I'm looking, it says Newton. Yeah, a mind forever voyaging through strange seas of thought alone. Yeah. <laughs> so evidently someone, I assume Steve Jobs, you know, was intrigued by Newton. Yeah. Drew inspiration but, from that. But yeah. came to live a very different right. life. And so yeah. Yeah, I see that a little bit of as an indictment on uh, Western Christianity for yeah. not being able to engage right. Steve Jobs of the world effectively. Right. The inspiration that has come from this moment has in some ways been just left on the table by people of faith, right? Um, yeah, that's, um, that's a, yeah. Uh, here and then here. But yeah. I look on that as hope because I think God, even if we don't believe in God, he believes in us. Yeah. And God can use people that don't have faith yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and I think this this is what we see in Scripture. Um, people uh, that are not people of faith are discovering scientific things all the time. And what the Scripture shows us is people like Paul and coming in and saying, yes, you have discovered something legitimate about God's creation. Let me unpack the rest of that story. Let me help you uh, discover why and what that looks like. Right. I think that's exactly what faith, the role that faith can play. Coming into those scientific discussions, not, not, not like denigrating the discovery, but actually uplifting it and showing like how this is part of the story of God that we're all living out. All right. Yeah, I mean, you could change that statement from like uh, faith is science to God, but science you know, leads to faith. Yeah. And you think about all the scientists that have kind of faith. <coughs> Do the work, but a, a bunch haven't. You know. Yeah, right. And I, I think that's we could do a lot, a lot more work in that area. Yeah. All right, we're we're over time. Thank you all so much. Two more weeks of this. Send me, uh, send me any questions uh, you want to address here.